0: Welcome to the Jamoti Podcast. We are all surrounded by amazing coaches and leaders, so let's get an inside look at not just what they do, but how they do what they do. After all, becoming the best versions of ourselves is Jamoti just a matter of doing it. The Jamoti Podcast is powered by Sideline Interactive. Sideline Interactive is the leading manufacturer for high quality, innovative scoring tables and LED video display boards that help coaches and schools bring more excitement to fans, create huge fundraising opportunities and make their jobs easier. Visit sidelineinteractive.com to check out their amazing products. Coach, so much to impact there. A lot, a lot of good things. I think their last point I'll, I'll hit first, which is your foundation. I think the danger in what we're doing, or it could be anybody, could be your athletes, the fact that basketball becomes the main thing in their life, the thing that they worship. It could be our jobs. It could be even our spouse at times or any relationships that are in our lives. I think anytime that we start to feel that overwhelming feeling of this is too much, there's too much pressure, whatever you're doing, it probably is in control. And I think one of the dangers of coaching, especially, is that the wins uh, could be notoriety for some. It could be being liked for others. It could just be having a successful program. When that starts to build up so much that you really forget who who's your identity, like who you're, who is your foundation. And when you forget that, man, that's where I trip up. And that's when I start to neglect my wife. That's when I start to forget about the relationships with these players and that's what's most important. And I think so I think you nailed it right there. The, the biggest thing is that you rip open our chest. Our foundation cannot be our self-worth cannot be wrapped up in this game or else yeah. it, it, we will be will be found wanting.
1: I think a benefit for me, I don't wish this upon anyone, but I've heard older coaches say that it's a necessity. Coach Popovich, um, I've heard Coach Sampson say this, is that I was fired at a really young age, and basketball was the coaching profession. Now, me as a player, I had a lot of different experiences and a lot of different coaches in college, but from the moment that I got into coaching at the Division One level, things really lined up for me. Anyways, my story's been well talked about. I got involved in some things that I shouldn't. Um, got fired at a young age. And so having something taken from you, like coaching, because coaching can be a form of, uh, like what you said, like building a good program. I, I don't personally struggle with that part of it. There's many things I struggle with. But I think having coaching taken from me at a young age and how painful that was and having to go through all those days of, um, how do they say it? Um, what you do is not who you are. And in all that world, um, having to go through that at in my early 30s, I think was really healthy for me because hmm. as, uh, Tony Bennett um, is famous for a lot of things. But one of the one of the many things that he says that really resonates is, is that you take any of these jobs that we have and don't hold them with a close fist, hold them. You know, they always tell us to hold our golf club. Don't, you know, Jack Nicholas said, don't hold the club really tight. You know, like when I get out there and play, I'm not <laughs> any good, but I hold on to that thing really tight. And Coach Bennett, I don't know if he told this to me personally or, or I read it. Um, I've been around him some. Um, He said, you know, he, the one thing he did tell me to my face when I went and spent some time with their staff a couple years ago is he pointed out to the court and he just said, Jade, don't. Don't get all caught up in that. He said it not only will disappoint you, he said it's disappointed me many times. And this mm-hmm. is after his national championship. This is after that story that's been well chronicled where they got beat by UMBC, UMBC and then a lot of that staff and team came back and they won it. And everybody knows how all of us feel about you know, I don't as a Christian coach, you have a Bob Hoffman, a Scott Drew. Um, you have many uh, a Matt Driscoll, a Grant McCaslin. You have some awesome guys, a, a Richie McKay at the top of our industry. But I don't know that if you can put a more perfect model for a ten with the basketball, a ten with their faith than a Tony Bennett. Yeah. And if Tony, and if Tony Bennett is going to tell us as a as a young young coaches, Christian coaches that want to do right, that the basketball is going to disappoint you a lot. I think it would be very wise on our uh, part to take his advice um, and to not hold these jobs or hold these positions or hold these careers um, so tightly is that, Hey, this is where I'm at today. I'm at OBU. I love it. If this was taken from me today, I would definitely go home and cry um, and be sad because I love being here. I have a lot invested in this program,
0: but But it's not your identity. It's not your identity.
1: I would be able to move on. I would yep. be able to move forward. Me and Isaac and Meredith would be fine. Um, one of the mistakes that I did make on a lighter note when I was at Liberty before I got fired was I don't think I owned a piece of clothing that didn't have Liberty on it. So when I got fired, I did have to go to Ross and TJ Maxx to like have some shirts to wear.
0: What am I going to wear? That's it. <laughs> On another lighter note, not many people know this about me, but my my first job was at Abercrombie and Fitch. And when I uh, no, I was not the shirtless model in the front. They would they never asked me to do that. But um, <laughs> when I was a manager there after playing overseas, I, I came back. I hadn't, without basketball, I had no clue what I wanted to do. So I did that for about a year and a half. Got out of that to get into some type of basketball and coaching, and realized like you. I have nothing but Abercrombie and Fitch clothing. And so, yeah, anyway, real, real, very random. I'll probably cut that out. But um, so one one question I had for you, you mentioned all of the decisions that you have to make and all of the things that you say, I really appreciate. And I think we all have to, I don't know what the percentage is, but just already prepare for five to 7% of what we do and say to be wrong to be mistakes and maybe that's yeah. a too low of an estimate but like all of the things that you say to your team in those in, meetings with one-on-one two guys we're walking away we're in the huddle there's going to be a small percentage that golly that was just that was off we have that to own bad. it we have to own it we have to be prepared for that so that with that being said how much of it because you mentioned you have to be organized and prepared with decisions that you make with practice, practice plans, days off, how much of it is organized? And then how much, too, are you just going off of feeling and flow throughout? Like, what I don't know, hard to maybe have a percentage there, but what do you think?
1: Well, I've had different models, unbelievable models. When you think about a Bob Hoffman, a Kelvin Sampson, a Dale Layer, and a Richie McKay for the four guys that I work for, all of them handled that differently. Like everyone on your podcast, all of my uh, older coaches um, that are mentors that I worked for always told me to be myself. So me being myself in preparation is, is to be very prepared for a workout, be very prepared for a week, be very prepared. Coach Sampson's great at um, explaining to me, explaining to a lot of us younger coaches of what what do you need to get done in October? And he'll chop it down to transition D, your base D, and he'll build these pillars as yeah. to what you need to, you know, pick and roll coverage, um, your transition D, how many people you're sending to the glass, how many people you're sending back. Coach Layer, uh, similar to Buzz Williams, who he works for, is a meticulous practice planner, where he'll have it down to the minute. Down to the drill, down to what manager and pad, and I mean it will be very meticulous. Coach Hoffman. Uh, there were some years where we'd have practice plans, and then other years he was either keeping those to <laughs> his, himself or he was going off a of feel. I personally think he. This is not his words. These. This is me working for him for seven years. I think he's at his best when he's. Not on the fly, because it's hard, it's hard to say a man like that is going based off of feel when there's probably not that many minutes out of the day where he's not thinking about his team. He's not yeah. thinking about what he wants to run. He's not thinking about a motivational conversation. Like he's constantly like the best coaches. They don't have a lot of balance in terms of what's going on in their mind. They may have a balance in terms of how much you see them in their office, but they don't have a lot of balance in terms of, like, I I got to live with Bob Hoffman two different times. We were assistants together. No, he was an assistant. I was the water boy at OU. We were both on staff together. And then I worked for him at two other schools, at Texas Pan American and also Mercer. Is that even if we're eating dinner and I was living with him as a younger coach and we're watching an NBA game, he's writing something down or writing something down in his mind. So he he was more of uh like our volleyball coach here, she's an excellent coach. She she doesn't really come into practice with a with a, a written down plan. I always have a skeleton in my pocket. I can't even remember that many times of ever looking at it, but I think just going over the skeleton of it. I do think as a coaching community, we forget how much time we've already thought about all these things when it's like, man, what are we going to say when the team and then you get out to practice and, you know, all the things that you're not allowed to always say around your wife because she doesn't want to talk about basketball all the time. You get to finally talk about basketball. Like I get to talk about basketball today at three o'clock. And so we always have plenty to say i'm 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 kind of at that point now where what I was discussing with you before we got on this podcast is is that I've been a little different each year as far as whether or not I'm going to introduce individual drills, individual habits, because we're in a four hour a week segment, and I introduced the whole this week, and I was okay with not talking as much not blowing the whistle as much, and letting them play and figuring out what they're good at. And I think the veteran coaches, I think the best coaches are the ones that don't stop it as much as us younger coaches. Now, now they're, the thing that the veteran coach has that a guy like me doesn't have is that when I walk in the gym, you know, people are like, hey, there's Jay. You know, when Tony Bennett or Bob Hoffman walks in the gym, it's like, oh, coach is here. So I'm still establishing those lines as to you know, hey guys, I am the get to be the coach <laughs> this year. Um, but I, I've over these last few days I've let them play more. I I've been more um open minded into instead of going into the year saying, you know, I already have so and so in this spot or that spot. Yeah. Like I gave a forward yesterday the ball. We were at we were at half court, we were I was letting the boys play. I gave the forward the ball. Like, we have actions that we run. I'm definitely, in terms of who am I truly a son of or a, a a nephew of in coaching, it probably would be Bob Hoffman, certainly on offense, is that we'll call stuff. You know, what? even if it's a simple quick hitter, we're going to – we, we want to be organized on offense. I do that to a fault. But, you know, when you're around a guy that's been so successful and sure. I, I don't – I I learned a lot from him in that way, is that I gave a forward. He's closer to a center than he is a point guard. I gave him the ball, and he was the point guard for like two possessions. And it didn't go particularly well. But I I wouldn't have done that any other year. But this year, I just wanted to see how he looked. I wanted to see what happened. I wanted to see if I liked it. I wanted to see if maybe – even if it didn't look good, if that was something that I wanted to work on as we move forward in the year. And it be more this time of year of a fact finding mission than a I want to show everyone that I'm the coach.
0: I do think you're right on the money with there's there's this maybe kind of a, a magic spot or a balance that you can get with practice planning of obviously having a plan. And like you said, having a plan could be written out to the minute. There's nothing wrong with that but having a plan could also be just the amount of times that you've gone over the skeleton or the progression that you want your guys to go through. That's a plan. And then, but I do think the other side of the, or the danger of having timed out things is that you don't live in the moment and you don't, you don't seize some of those opportunities to go deeper in an area to explain a little bit more, or you know what, guys, we got this let's move on. Let's go to the next progression. I've, I, To me, I want to have that skeleton, the idea of where we want to get, but I'm going to have the freedom to spend as much or as little time in every area. Or like TJ Rosine at Emmanuel, it, to me, is one of the best culture building coaches out yes. there. It's excellent. He, but he doesn't have a culture building moment Programmed into his, I think is he's constantly on the lookout for it. A guy dives on the floor. We're going to stop and celebrate that because that's the type of habit and that's the thing. You know, being having your eyes open for that, I feel like you have the that ability if you're not staring at it the time and hoping. Oh, we're golly, we're a minute over. You know, we're we're going a little bit more off of feel. That's just my opinion.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll give you a a big boy example on that is that if Coach Sampson is doing anything defensively, his program is built off of toughness, rebounding, defense, and then taking care of the ball. That's what uh, Kellen and Coach always talk about as their their holy trinity is that if he's doing something defensively, now if it's in the four-hour segment, he's going to follow the rules and take care of all that. But he's not moving forward with his practice until that's right. Like, he's not a, he's not going to be a slave. Coach Hoffman's not that way. Um, I haven't worked for Coach McKay in a while. Um, but, you know, the meticulous attention to detail is going to be there. Um, and attitude is a part of it. Like, just because a kid does a habit the correct way for a uh, Kelvin Sampson, if he's in – like, they play in the gap, which – A lot of people don't know he's they're so aggressive and so tough and so efficient and disruptive on defense. And then of course, everybody knows their program to be such a great rebounding program is that the defense and the rebounding, he is so far advanced in what it is that he does is that it's an attitude more than anything that he's looking for. He's looking for, them to be in the right spots but if he sees his team with the right attitude and you know it's not always as pretty as I'm saying it here like he's looking for a nastiness and a chippiness and a and a uh, pridefulness that when it comes to I am in the gap but I'm in the gap in a way that you know if he were playing against Harden Simmons we'd just set the ball down and run back the other way you know like He's looking for that. And when he gets that, he'll move on. But until he gets that, he's willing to do anything within the rules of being an adult and being a coach. He's willing.
0: <laughs> all the way up to that line. Yeah. All the way. He's,
1: he's willing to do anything and everything to get that attitude of a championship defense and rebounding as he sees fit before he's going to move on to two-line shooting or, or a fast break drill or five-on-five five live. He's not moving on. And so that stubbornness, I think, exists. And, you know, Tony Bennett and Kelvin Sampson, if you were to go to dinner with either one of them, they're both awesome guys. They're both fun to be around. Um, and if you were to put Richie McKay in there and Bob Hoffman, all those guys were so different. I mean, so different. Just. Yeah. And how they relate to me, how they relate to one another, um, just their vibe. But i tell you the one thing that all great coaches have, in my opinion, is a stubbornness in getting the things that they want. And I think even as smiley and you would even not – goofy would not be the word. But, you know, for a while, we all – a lot of us in the profession are like, man, Scott Drew might be too nice to win a championship. Like – Coach Self can get a little after you in a shoot-around, <laughs> you know? But Coach Drew yeah. is going to – Coach Drew, I mean, when have we ever not seen him with a smile and a warm welcome? And, like, he's not trying to put you on edge yeah. as as a bystander or, like, you know, he's he doesn't coach that way. That's not how he leads. But even him, the stubbornness that his team showed the chance – now many teams, he's had a lot of great teams. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like all great coaches have great stubbornness in the things that matter to them.
0: Thank you for checking out today's episode. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your fellow coaches, and find us on social media for what's coming up next on the Jamodi Podcast. It's just a matter of doing it.